0: This is Jose Figueroa with an approved workman where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. Welcome to another week of Bible study. I am so glad that you're here as we open up God's word one more time. Our current series is Come, Lord Jesus, a study of the book of Revelation. If you're new to this Bible teaching ministry, here is how you can learn more about our work. First, go to our website www.anapprovedworkman.org That's enapprovedworkman.org. On the website you can learn more about the purpose of this ministry, our approach to Bible study, and also review our statement of faith. You can also listen to previous episodes of the current series on Revelation or any episodes from any of the previous series we have done. On the website you can also subscribe to the podcast which is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now also on Amazon Music, as well as other podcast directories. You can also connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram at an approved workman. On Pinterest, we have a page, pinterest.com slash And you can also find our Facebook page on Facebook, facebook.com slash workman 215 Finally, if you're watching the video version of this lesson, make sure you subscribe to our channels on YouTube and Rumble to ensure you will miss any upcoming episodes. Today we are in lesson number 39 in the series Come Lord Jesus from the book of Revelation. The lesson is titled The Return of the King Part 1. Our focus passage is Revelation 19, verses 1-10, through so find your way in your Bible to that passage. In this chapter, the Apostle John witnesses the wedding of the Lamb and his victory over Antichrist. The month of July 2022 marked a very special anniversary for Queen Elizabeth II. This year, she celebrated her Platinum Jubilee her 70th year as England's Monarch. It is a remarkable accomplishment. And as we saw this month, the British people and many around the world thought this was a very big deal. And it is a very big deal. It's quite the accomplishment. The Platinum Jubilee of Elizabeth II is being celebrated in 2022 in the Commonwealth of Nations to mark the 70th anniversary of her accession uh, to the throne on February 6, 1952. She was only 25. It is the first time that any British monarch has celebrated a Platinum Jubilee. That makes her, Elizabeth II, the longest reigning monarch in the history of the British Empire. And to put her 70 years reign in context, during this time, 14, that's one four, 14 British Prime Ministers have pledged allegiance to the Queen. This includes current Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who just resigned and will be replaced in a few months. It is very likely then that Elizabeth II will have a 15th Prime Minister asked to form a government. To put it in a different perspective closer to home here in the United States, Elizabeth II has seen 14 different men serve as U.S. presidents during her reign. So, the queen is a big deal. Long live the queen. And now, 70 years into her reign, she is indeed very popular, even at her advanced age of 96. But in reality... She is nothing compared to the king who we believers know will surely return to earth. And he will not just reign over England or the British Empire, but over the entire world. Are you ready for him? In our previous episode, we concluded our study of Revelation 18, the fall of Babylon. In that chapter, John witnessed the fall of the great city of Babylon. And as we have studied previously, Babylon represents the opposition system to God and it's a system that is driven, engineered by Satan and led by the beast, the Antichrist, in the end times. It's what the Apostle John called the world. And as we have mentioned before, the Bible sense lexicon defines this world system as, the people constituting the world whose values, beliefs and morals are in distinction and rebellion to God's." It's a system of opposition to God's rebellion. And from the Tower of Babel, back all the way to Genesis 11, to the Babylonian Empire in Daniel's day, to the Roman Empire in the Apostle John's day, Babylon, that system, has opposed God and has persecuted his people. In chapter 18 of Revelation, we witnessed the ultimate device of Babylon, the great harlot. Her sins had piled up all the way to heaven, and God dispensed the full and final judgment on her and on all of those who follow after her. She is held responsible for the sins of the whole world, and she will receive the full payment of God's wrath. We devoted two lessons to our study of Revelation 18, And as a matter of review, let's look at the principles and applications we learned from that study. First we look at the judgment of Babylon that was verses 1 through 8. Our principle, God's people are called to be separate from Babylon, the evil world system. God's people are called to be separate from Babylon, the evil world system. Our application, how are you as an operative of the kingdom of God avoiding participation in the sins of the world. From the judgment of Babylon, we move to the lament, the lament over Babylon, verses nine through 19. And our principle, God's people reject the false promise of Babylon, the evil world system. God's people reject the false promise of Babylon, the evil world system. Our application, what causes you to mourn? The loss of material wealth and possessions or the spiritual condition of our world. Then, we close our study with verses 20-24, to 24, the end of Babylon. Our application, God's people can rejoice in the certain arrival of His kingdom. God's people can rejoice in the certain arrival of His kingdom. Our application, How are you encouraged knowing that one day God will put a definite and complete end to evil and Wickedness. For believers, knowing that there will be a definite and complete end to all sin, wickedness, and opposition to Almighty God, how should we conduct ourselves? That is the question. To quote the Apostle Peter, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? There is no more important task for Christians than that of advancing God's kingdom by the preaching of the gospel. Our priority should be to make sure that as many people as possible know that there is a day of judgment, the day of the Lord, coming soon. But we should also stress, at the same time, that the same God who will carry out that judgment wants everyone to be saved. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But in order for us to get that opportunity to share that message with people, our lives should be completely distinct from the world because we belong to the Lord. Our loyalty is to another one. But at the same time, our lives should be so extremely attractive to unbelievers because we love them like he loves them. As the Apostle Paul encouraged the Thessalonians, we should abound in faith, hope, and love. In other words, we should live excellently, love extravagantly, and look expectantly. Here is that beloved passage that encapsulates this approach very well. Titus chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, righteously and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds, Titus 211 14 In today's lesson, we begin our study of Revelation 19. The primary focus of this chapter is on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This means His physical, visible return to this earth to complete the work of restoration. Jesus made a promise to His people, and this is a time. This chapter describes how that promise is fulfilled. From the moment Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives, Back in Acts chapter 1, from that moment, the church, his people, his bride, have been waiting for his return for over 2,000 years. As we go into this chapter, we will look at two major end times events. First, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's basically the focus of the first 10 verses of Revelation. And then we will take a look at the physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ and Armageddon which we have mentioned before, have studied before, but this is where everything is leading to. Before we get to those two events, we will also witness another great worship concert in heaven before the throne of God above. The arrival of the king, the true king, demands all of our worship and attention. Before we get too deep into the lesson, I want to give you a word of clarification and reminder. When you look at Revelation 19, it does not reflect a straight chronological timeline on, of events. And actually, this is true of the entire book. As we have seen before, John's visions flash back and forth in time. It's like looking at a series of movies like The Avengers or The Lord of the Rings, and there is flashbacks and prequels and sequels. Is That's how I feel sometimes about the book of Revelation. So because sometimes you have an event that is mentioned at a high level and then in a later chapter you see more details are provided for the same event. And then sometimes we have the same events described multiple times in different fashion. For example, when we look at the seven seals and the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments is what scholars call uh, recapitulation. So you're seeing the same event Described in a different fashion or with more detail, but it's the same event. So let's do our best to keep our heads straight as best as we can and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us through this amazing passage of Scripture. In a recent episode of his Naked Bible podcast, Dr. Michael Heiser talks about one of the key aspects we will encounter in the first half of Revelation 19. He says, quote, The major focus of Revelation 19, 1-10 is the marriage supper of the Lamb, in verses 6-10. This meal, a celebration of the victory over the beast and his followers, is the climax of an ancient Old Testament motif. The meal with God, or communal meal in God's house, where the Lord is present with his people. Old Testament examples include Genesis 18, Exodus 24, 9-11 while New Testament instance runs from the feeding of the 5,000 the last supper and the celebration of the Lord's table the marriage supper of the Lamb is the final eschatological messianic banquet an event that includes believers from every tribe and nation again that's Dr. Michael Heiser in his NACO Bible podcast episode 391 Revelation 19, Part 1, describing this motif of the meal with God, which we're going to see reflected is the culmination of it in the marriage supper of the Lamb. In his book, Because the Time is Near, Dr. John MacArthur also provides us with a great introduction to this chapter with the focus of what's happening in heaven as we get ready for this great event. He says, quote, As that long-awaited time of Jesus Christ's appearance approaches, the scene in Revelation shifts from earth, where it has been since chapter 6, to heaven. The praise seen in heaven throughout Revelation reaches a crescendo in this text. The heavenly rejoicing is not over those who reject God, but because Christ will soon remove sinners from the world. God will then be properly honored, Christ enthroned, and the earth restored to its lost glory. Heaven rejoices because history is finally going to reach its culmination as the true king establishes his kingdom on earth." Here is our lesson outline and goal for our teaching from Revelation 19 as we look at the return of the king. We have three divisions. First. The worship of the king, verses 1 through 6, then the wedding of the king, verses 7 through 10, and finally the war of the king, verses 11 through 21. And our goal for our teaching from Revelation 19 is this to encourage believers to remember that Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, will return to reunite with his people and to rule the nations. Again, the goal for the lesson today is to encourage believers to remember that Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, will return to reunite with his people and to rule the nation. Today we will focus in our first two divisions, verses 1 through 6, the worship of the king, and then the wedding of the king, our second division, verses 7 through 10. In part 2 of the lesson, we will focus on verses 11 through 21, the war of the king. Let's get started. So let's go to our first division for today from Revelation 19, the worship of the king, verses 1 through 6. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. Because His judgments are true and righteous, for He has judged the great prostitute, who was corrupting the earth with her sexual immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her. And a second time they say, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises forever and ever. Verse 4. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bond servants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Revelation 19, 1 through 6 If you recall, One of the clearest things about the book of Revelation is that it is a book devoted to the worship of Almighty God. And we will see that again as we begin to study this chapter. The Apostle John is going to experience yet another concert in heaven after witnessing the demise of Babylon recorded in chapters 17 and 18. This concert is special, however, because it recaps everything we have seen so far. When you look at verse 1, it starts with after these things. That type of phrase in the book of Revelation indicates the beginning of a new vision. So after these things, what things? Well, the visions that the apostle John just saw on the doom and fall of Babylon, Revelation 17 and 18. So after those visions, he heard what sounded like the loud of like the sound of uh, loud voices of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. That word, hallelujah, means to praise Yahweh or praise the Lord, and is found all over the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. It is a shout of worship, and it is repeated four times in verses one through six of this chapter. This is the only place in the New Testament where you will find that word, hallelujah. So because it shows up here four times, this scripture passage is sometimes referred to as the fourfold hallelujah. In this first instance, the multitude in heaven declare that God is the only deliverer, the only one worthy of glory and the almighty God. This declaration echoes earlier statements of praise in the book. Again, we're seeing the theme, we're seeing the the worship multiple times. Worship concert in heaven. First, we saw this when we joined John on his first trip to stand before the throne of God of heaven above in our lesson in Revelation 4. Revelation 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Revelation 4, 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That passage is worshiping, praising God for being the creator and worthy of our glory, honor, and power. Same thing we see here as we begin Revelation 19. As we continue our review of worship in heaven, remember that then we saw a multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation recognizing that God and the Lamb are the ones who save. This is from our lesson on Revelation 7, Signs, Sealed, and Delivered. Let's start with Revelation 7, verse 10. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What is clear also in Revelation besides being a book about the worship of Almighty God, is that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is also God himself. He is divine. The heavenly chorus of the redeemed worship because in him they have overcome the old serpent. This is from the lesson on Revelation 12, Satan's folly, failure, and fury. Look at Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Revelation 12, verse 10. In his book, Because the Time is Near, Dr. MacArthur speaks about John's use of the word. Hallelujah. He says, quote, it appears only in this chapter in the New Testament, in verses 3, 4, and 6. In its first Old Testament appearance, Hallelujah also expresses praise for God's judgment on the wicked oppressors of his people. Psalm 104, verse 35. The word salvation celebrates the final aspect of salvation history, the glorification of the saints in Christ's kingdom the imminent coming of Christ prompts this praise as the angels anticipate the glory of his kingdom. End quote. As we continue in verse 2 of Revelation 19, we ask, why were they saying these words and praising God? And then we're told quite explicitly why the multitude was praising him. It's because his judgments are righteous and true. He does not make any mistakes and he does not lie. And he had judged the great harlot, Babylon, for corrupting the earth with her sexual immorality. And also, Almighty God had avenged the blood of his bond servants, which were martyred by Babylon. We saw these judgments come down on Babylon via the bowls of wrath. Our lessons on Revelation 15 and 16. Look at Revelation 16, beginning in verse 5. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you the one who is and who was a holy one, because you judge these things. For they pour out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And if you recall from our study of Revelation 17 and 18, These are the reasons for the judgment and fall of Babylon. Look at Revelation 17, beginning in verse 4. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls, holding in her hand a gold cup, full of abominations and of the unclean things of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead a name was written a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. Revelation 17, 4-6 again. Babylon is judged for her sexual immorality, her rebellion against God, and for oppressing God's people. Back to Revelation 19. In verse 3, we hear a second time the great multitude crying out, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises forever and ever. Babylon's punishment and the punishment of all who follow her will be eternal. There will be no rest for the wicked. Look at Revelation 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Look at Revelation 18, verse verse 9. And the kings of the earth, who committed acts of sexual immorality and lived luxuriously, Luxuriously seriously with her, will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning. And were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? Revelation 18, verses 9 and 18. And again, here it is, the worship because God has righteously judged and punished the evil. Babylon and all of those who made the choice to follow after her to rebel against God. Then in verse 4 of Revelation 19, we also hear again from the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures who we met first in chapters 4 and 5. They fell down and joined in the worship of God who sits on the throne. For the third time, we hear the great shout of praise they said, Amen, Hallelujah. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures agree with the shouts of the multitude in heaven. That declares that Almighty God and the Lamb are worthy of all praise, honor, and worship. In his Bible commentary, Dr. Tony Evans comments on the appropriateness of these shouts of worship. He says, Quote, God is not untoward in demanding praise because he is worthy of it. Like God, his people are not to delight in the destruction of the wicked. Ezekiel thirty-three, eleven. However, worship is an entirely appropriate response to God's righteous judgments and his establishment of justice where there were once was injustice." End quote. In verse 5, a voice came from the throne of heaven saying, "Give praise to our God, all you his bond servants, you who fear him, the small and the great, all of God's people his true followers are called on to praise Him. Whomever you are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of the Lamb, you have one job, to praise Him. That's what Psalm 150 is all about. In verse 6, then John heard another sound, like the voice of a great crowd, so everybody in heaven is responding. John said it sounded like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Those are sounds associated with God and with His majesty and authority. Those are the sounds of heaven. That's also how the voice of Jesus sounds, as you recall from our lesson on chapter 1, the vision of the Son of Man, verses 9 through 16 in that first chapter. What everybody is saying in heaven is that it's time to praise Him, it is time to rejoice because His kingdom has arrived. At this point, the not yet has fully become the already. Look at Revelation 11, verses 15 through 17. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, Lord God the Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Revelation eleven fifteen through 17 As we have learned before, the worship of God is the primary business of heaven. In his book, Escape the Coming Night, Dr. David Jeremiah comments on this wonderful time of worship we will experience in heaven. He says, quote, five shouts of praise the Lord resound throughout heaven as there is a great preparation for Jesus' return. The angels, the Old Testament saints, the church saints, and the tribulation saints will raise their voices in a choir which will reverberate louder than thunder, End quote. It will be a great time of worship. It will be a great concert of worship in heaven. Well, that brings us to the end of our first division from Revelation 19, the worship of the king. What is our principle? The king's people offer their lives as a living act of worship until his return. The king's people offer their lives as a living act of worship until his return. Psalms 113, beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time on and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Psalms one hundred thirteen verses one through three. What kind of living sacrifice are you offering to the king? Let's go to our second division from Revelation nineteen, the wedding of the king, verses seven. 10. Let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, "Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation nineteen seven through 10 In verse 7 we see That the multitude continue calling on everyone to rejoice, to be glad, and to give glory to Him, to God. Why? Well, it's time for a great party. The time for the marriage of the Lamb had arrived, and His bride had prepared herself. There is a wedding, and there is a feast, a supper, a banquet associated with it. In his uh, Naked Bible podcast episode on Revelation 19, Dr. Michael Heiser comments on how this particular banquet is the ultimate celebration of victory. He says, quote, And actually, this scene, this whole concept of the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's a messianic banquet, obviously, because the Lamb is Jesus. This is a climax to a motif found throughout Scripture. And the motif is the meal with God, a divine banquet. Think of all the meals with God or meals that people have in God's house that they're in the Bible. Genesis eighteen, Abraham, Exodus twenty-four, nine through eleven, Moses and the Israel elders on Mount Sinai. Matthew fourteen thirteen to twenty one, the feeding of the five thousand, uh, Matthew fifteen, thirty two to thirty eight, uh, the feeding of the four thousand, Luke twenty-four, Jesus breaking bread with the two disciples on the after they were together on the road to Emmaus then meeting with the disciples with all of them with the apostles and uh, getting a piece of fish to eat all those meals with God and then they were going to take that and once chaos is conquered we're going to have a great celebration in the new Eden with the abundance of Eden with the Lord present we're going to have a final everlasting meal with God the everlasting marriage supper with the savior who is our brother our king the Messiah. This is where everything is headed. End quote. That's again Dr. Michael Heiser in his Naked Bible podcast, Episode 391 on Revelation 19. You know what's amazing to me as I think about it, about this? That the God of the whole universe not only wants to dwell with me forever, but also dine with me. I mean, who am I? And when you think about dining. Breaking bread, having a meal with something, with someone, is one of the most intimate things he can do. It talks about fellowship, it talks about relationship, it talks about being together, being connected. And that's what the God of the whole universe wants to do. And this motif, this theme of the meal with God is everywhere in Scripture. And it culminates here in the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what? He even wants to come in, Jesus, and dine with the lukewarm church at Laodicea. I never saw this before until I studied this, uh, this chapter 19 for our lessons. And here's what Revelation 3:20 says: "Behold," as Jesus speaking, "I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me." Revelation 3:20. Jesus, the Lord of the whole universe, God, wants to come in and have a meal, break bread with you. Isn't that amazing? Well, we know who the bride is. We know the identity of the bride. It's the church, the saints. The Apostle Paul, as he gave instructions to husbands and wives, used marriage as a very clear picture of the relationship of Christ to his church. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, subject yourselves to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Ephesians 5:22 and 23, 25 to 27, 31 to 32. You see all the things that Christ does for his church, he cleans her, he's preparing her, Uh, he's going to present the church to himself in all her glory and that's what we're talking about here, this marriage supper of the Lamb. What an amazing thing and it's very clear that the church is the bride of the Lamb. Before we continue, let's hear from Dr. Chuck Swindoll who in his new Testament commentary on the book of Revelation gives us great insights into the wedding imagery that John uses here. So think about this. Rather than the major single event we see in our Western customs, the wedding day, the Jewish marriage tradition had several stages. They had betrothal, they had the presentation, and then the ceremony. Here's what Dr. Swindoll says about this. Quote, The analogy of the church's marriage to Christ reflects these ancient Jewish wedding customs. In God, the Father's foresight, He chose the church before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, four. When sinners are saved, they are betrothed to Christ, a binding relationship that is still awaiting its complete realization. At the presentation, the church will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air. Matthew one 13 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Then, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the final consummation will begin as Christ and the Church take their places to reign over the earth. Revelation 20, 4-6. So Dr. Swindoll kind of gives us a good picture of this imagery of the wedding supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast, this wedding banquet, and what it means and how we understand our relationship to Christ and what this means as we look forward to that fabulous event. We also learn that the bride will be given fine linen, bright and clean, to clothe herself for the feast. As we have seen before in Revelation, fine linen, bright and clean clothing represent holiness and purity. The fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints, those who are truly the followers of the Lamb. Those who have been cleansed and sanctified by Him and also live accordingly. Look at Revelation 3 verses 4 and 5. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed the same way in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3, 4, and 5. Let's also look at Revelation 7 beginning in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Verse 13. Then one of the elders responded, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they, and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, verse 9, and then verses 13 and 14. But don't get it twisted. He is the one, Jesus. He is the one who redeems and sanctifies us. Look at what the prophet Hosea said about this. Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in favor, and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. In his book, Because the Time is Near, this is how Dr. MacArthur puts it. He says, quote, In preparation for her marriage to the Lamb, his bride has made herself ready. That was not by her own works, but rather by God's gracious working. The bride has made herself ready in the power of God, by the grace of God, through the work of the Spirit of God. Purged from all sin and impurity, she is a flawless, blameless virgin. End quote. So, are you part of the body, the church, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been redeemed by Him? In verse 9, we see that he, most likely the same heavenly angel who showed John the vision of the fall of Babylon, commanded John to write this message. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Well, who are these who are invited to the great wedding feast? Believers in Jesus Christ, his church, are represented here as his bride. So, who are these other people then? Well, this group could be comprised of two subgroups. The first group is the Old Testament saints, those people who were faithful to Yahweh and received righteousness just like Father Abraham did. Remember, God's intent was always to have one unified family from all nations. But the Old Testament saints exhibited faith in him. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. And this group is comprised primarily of Jewish people, but also quite a few Gentiles. You know, Technically, they're not members of the church, but they get to participate in the wedding feast. John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, alluded to this fact. You can see John as really the last Old Testament prophet before Christ's arrival. And here's what he said when his disciples expressed concern about the rising popularity of Jesus. Look at John chapter 3, beginning in verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been set ahead of him. Verse 29. He who has the bride is the groom, but the friend of the groom, who stands and listens to him, rejoices greatly because of the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase but I must decrease John three twenty eight to thirty. So, so you see that imagery there, John representing the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament says he says he is the friend of the groom. And then the groom is getting ready for his feast for his bride. So there's that idea there that we can see. The second subgroup could be those who come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation days. We have met these martyrs before, Revelation 6, verse 9, Revelation 7, verse 14. And this notion makes sense if you ascribe to the view that believes in the rapture of the church before the tribulation begins, as I still believe. The point is this, all of God's people will be present at this great celebration in the kingdom. I love how Dr. John MacArthur emphasizes this point in his book, because the time is near. He says, quote, it must be remembered that the wedding imagery pictures God's intimate union with His people. There will be no second class citizens in God's kingdom, just as all the participants in a wedding enjoy the celebration. And in the new heavens and the new earth, all believers will enjoy the full glories of eternity. End quote. Finally, we get to verse 10. The angel also tells John that these are the true words of God. There is no lie here. Every word of God is true. Everything will happen just as John has been told. These words are faithful and true, so John must not only write them, but believe them. Look at Revelation 21, verse 5, when God makes this point again. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write. Write. For these words are faithful and true, Revelation twenty-one five. Revelation twenty-two verse six. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Revelation twenty-two, six. Every word of God is true. Well, John is overwhelmed. And can you really blame him? I don't think so. His first reaction to all of it was to worship. And as the angel is the one standing right there, almost by instinct, John falls down at his feet to worship him. However, in spite of all the emotion of the moment, the angel waits no time immediately correcting John. He told him that he, the angel, was not worthy of worship. He was just a fellow servant of his, of John's, and all of those believers, men and women, who hold the testimony of Jesus, the true believers. He told them to worship God. Only God, only Christ, only the Holy Spirit are worthy of worship. Finally, the angel told John that the spirit, the essence of prophecy, is the testimony of Jesus. The true words about who he is and what he has done the gospel, the testimony of Jesus Christ. When we look at prophecy, whether it's Old Testament, the major or the minor prophets, whether you look at the book of Revelation, or prophetic uh, teachings in the epistles, we can easily get lost in what all of prophecy means. Different timelines, different systems, and that has been going on for a long, long time. But really, that is not the point. Here is the point. The point is that Jesus is the king, king of kings and Lord of lords. The point is that he is coming back for his people, his bride, because he promised he would. And he's coming back to judge evil because justice will be done. And he's coming back to rule the nations because that's what he was born to do. And that is his revelation. When we started this study, that's what we looked at. Look at Revelation 1. Verses 1 and 2, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ everything that he saw, Revelation 1, 1 and 2. This is a revelation of Christ, it is him who matters, it is his message that matters. That's what this is all about. He is coming back, and He's coming back soon. And with that, we conclude our second division from Revelation 19. And here's something else that matters. Are you preparing yourself, through the Holy Spirit, through your relationship with Jesus Christ, for the great wedding feast of the Lamb? Or are you just planning to show up? just as you are. So what is the principle for this second division, the wedding of the king? The king's people make themselves ready for his return. The king's people make themselves ready for his return. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the groom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Yet later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, because you do not know the day nor the hour. Matthew twenty-five ten to 13 How are you preparing yourself for the great marriage supper of the Lamb? This concludes part one of our teaching from Revelation 19. Thank you for being here today. Next time, we will conclude our study of Revelation 19, and we will focus on the War of the King, verses 11-21. through 21. Until then, this is Jose Figueroa, for an approved workman, where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. May God richly bless you.